morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 21st of June, 2012, and we are in the still water meditation hall of the Upper Hamlet. This is the last day of our 21-day retreat. Today, everyone is invited to join the walking meditation. The last walking meditation of uh, the 21-day retreat. I learned that uh, our friends in, from the New Hamlet, they have brought their lunch. So they have plenty of time to enjoy uh, walking with us. And the bus will be there only at 1.30. The start only at 1.30 to go back to, uh, to bring us back to the new hamlet. After the Dhamma talk, today, those of you who have not seen Thay's hut in the upper hamlet, I invited to come and visit. It's a very beautiful view from there. You might, you might like to bring your camera. <laughs> you look through the window, the door, you can see uh, his desk where he translates uh, his uh, sutras, and the little bed where he sleeps, and also the small kitchen where he uh, prepares his breakfast. And there is a, a desk uh, outside of the hut where many uh, dozens of us can sit and contemplate. Uh, but in order for everyone here to have a chance to, uh, to, uh, to go through uh, the hut, uh, well, we leave uh, a path so that people can go through and have a look. Also, we learned that uh, next week, this week, every day will be we have a sunshine. <laughs> and uh, after the 21-day retreat, there will be a number of lazy days, succeeding each other. And those of you who can afford to to stay, uh, you can uh, uh, join us in our lazy days. There will be an ordination ceremony, ceremony for the novices on uh, July 4th. And uh, Plum Village uh, summer opening will start uh, on the 6th. After that, uh, the Sangha, the Monastery Sangha, will move to uh, Germany at the uh, European Institute of Applied Buddhism. Uh, in order to uh, offer one retreat for Dutch-speaking people and one for the German-speaking people. Those of you uh, in this retreat who would like to receive a certificate um, of uh, delivered by the 
European Institute of Applied Buddhism. Uh, you just uh, contact uh, um, the, the monk or the nun in the discussion group in the family and uh, give your name and then uh, a certificate signed by Sister Tung Niem, the registrar of uh, the institute will be sent to you. This uh, retreat has been a challenge. <laughs> Not uh, Buddhism challenging science or science challenging Buddhism, but we challenge ourselves. As uh, yogi, as uh, spiritual practitioners, we challenge ourselves. We should be able to improve our way of teaching, our way of learning, our way of practice, so that we can generate more the energy of mindfulness, concentration, and insight in order to transform us, to nourish us, and to, 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 to have more insight into the ultimate. The, when uh, we study Buddhism, we read the sutras, we can see that the Buddha always um, tried to improve his teaching and improve the practice so that uh, people will do better in learning and practicing. So you have to do the same. You have to challenge yourself as practitioners so that our teaching, our learning and our practice would be would bring more result and help the world. And we can profit from the insight of scientists. So as a scientist, because many of us are both uh, uh, meditation practitioners and scientists, as scientists we also have to challenge ourselves. We know that we need a mind that is clear, that is uh, not overloaded with uh, afflictions, with worries, anxiety, and despair. A mind that is uh, free from prejudices, notions, and even knowledge, so that we can, uh, we can uh, uh, make a progress on the path of uh, learning and getting insight. And we learn that uh, we can do that better, much better, with a Sangha. We can behave as a cell in the body of the Sangha. We, we, uh, we, can, we can practice, we can see ourselves as a cell in the Buddha body. And this is not uh, something uh, symbolic. This is the truth. Because we have the seed of Buddhahood, of Sanghahood in us. And uh, everyone is capable of, uh, of making a Buddha, of becoming a Buddha. Everyone is capable of uh, generating a Sangha. 
remember the day when I told the story of his being evicted from the, his Sangha in Vietnam. And he was like a Sangha taken out, uh, a cell taken out of uh, his Sangha. And uh, it's dangerous to, for a cell to be out of the body, at least to dry up and to die. But he tried his best in his years of exile to build a Sangha. It's like a cloning. Beginning from one cell, you can generate a whole body. And that is what everyone else should do. We are a cell of the Buddha body. And it is possible to, that we can create a whole Buddha body. Beginning from, from us, ourselves as a cell. We are a cell in the Sangha body. And from being a cell, we can generate a whole cell, a whole body. That's what he has done in his 40 years of exile. And you are my Sangha body. It is possible. It's a kind, kind of cloning. And we know that the cells in our body, they know how to communicate with each other. They, are, they have receptors. They can communicate with other cells. And they are capable of uh, generating the energy to nourish themselves and to nourish uh, the whole body. <coughs> Every cell in our body knows how to fabricate uh, the kind of uh, substance, the kind of energy called uh, adenosine triphosphate phosphate, to nourish itself and to nourish the whole body. So as a cell in the body of the Sangha, it can also generate the energy of mindfulness, concentration and insight in order to nourish us and to nourish the Sangha body, Sangha Kaya. Our duty as a cell in the Buddha body is to live and to practice in such a way that we can generate the energy of uh, mindfulness, concentration, insight, compassion to nourish us and to nourish uh, our Buddha body, our Sangha body. And this is possible. And the Buddha went through a process of Sangha building also after enlightenment. He looked for, he went to look for elements of his Sangha and began to build a Sangha. And without a Sangha, a Buddha cannot do much. It's like uh, a musician without his uh, musical instrument, he cannot uh, do much. So the Sangha is uh, the masterpiece of a Buddha. Uh, even the Buddha has to be with Sangha. And all of us should consider ourselves as a cell in the Buddha body. Every one of us should consider himself, herself as uh, a cell in the Sangha body. So wherever we are, 
we have to to be with Sangha. That is the hope for this planet. Without the Sangha, you cannot realize anything at all. And with uh, the practice, we can get rid of our afflictions, transform our afflictions, remove our, transform our habit energies, and learn to learn to perceive reality with the mind of non-discrimination. We have begun with this retreat with um, the Four Noble Truths. And we know that the Four Noble Truths, they, they inter-are. The first one is uh, about uh, ill being, Dukkha. And uh, the Buddhist way looks simple. The first thing you do is to recognize suffering, to recognize ill being. <coughs> and to look deeply into the nature of our suffering. That is uh, what uh, Buddhist practitioners, practitioners begin with. They have to recognize the suffering in them and in the world. They have to look deeply into the nature of their suffering, the making how how suffering has become, has uh, has been made. That's the second noble truth: the making of suffering, the making of being. And thanks to the practice of recognizing and looking deeply into the nature of our suffering. Understanding arises. Understanding suffering. Understanding how suffering has come to be. That kind of understanding arises. And that is the fruit of practice. And when understanding arises, something arises also at the same time. Compassion. Because understanding and compassion, they go in pairs. If you cannot understand, you cannot love. This is very clear. If you don't understand yourself, you cannot love yourself. If you do not understand him, you cannot love him. If the father does not understand the son, no matter how much he wants his son to be happy, he cannot make his son happy. So understanding and compassion and love, they always go together as a pair. And understanding and compassion, how can we obtain that? How can we generate that? These two things, which is the foundation of love, of, of happiness. The answer in Buddhism is very clear. Recognize suffering and look deeply, deeply into the nature of suffering. So trying to run away from suffering is not the way. This is uh, the lesson of the Four Noble Truths. It's very clear, the principle of the practice. 
and then uh, in the process of learning and practicing, we realize that suffering and happiness, they inter It's like the mud and the lotus, they inter And you learn that uh, it is possible to, to make use of suffering in order to create happiness. It's like to make use, good use of uh, the mud in order to grow lotus. And those of us who, uh, who know the art of uh, organic garden, we know that. We know that we can keep the garbage. And we can transform garbage into, into the kind of uh, nutriment, the kind of food that can nourish our flowers and our vegetables. So there is a very close connection between suffering and uh, happiness. The, the first noble truth and the third one. The third noble truth is, is uh, happiness, well-being. And they, own, they, they are a pair that go together. And if you realize the non-dualistic nature of suffering and happiness, you are no longer afraid of suffering. You don't try to run away from suffering anymore. Instead, we know how to make good use of suffering in order to create happiness. And then when happiness begin to, 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 to change. We are not afraid. We know how to recreate happiness again by the same kind of process. <coughs> Suffering and happiness, they each are. If you don't know the way happiness will become suffering. And if you know the way, suffering can become happiness again. And uh, suffering and happiness, they are of an organic nature. That is why everything is possible. That is why when you have become a Buddha, you continue the art of organic gardening. You are there in order to... When the situation needs, you know how to transform suffering into well-being again. And slowly we cultivate uh, the, the mind of non-discrimination. Non-discrimination between suffering and happiness of right and left, of object and subject, and so on. In science, people talk about the non-dualistic uh, uh, nature of, uh, of the elementary particle. Mm. Mm. A particle can be at the same time a wave. And uh, two electrons 
the electrons in an experiment of a double slit. One electron can go through two slits at the same time. If there is only one, the same electron, how can it uh, go through two slits at the same time? So the duality between sameness and otherness could be removed. There are four pairs of uh, opposites that are mentioned always. They represent all the other pairs of opposites. And the first pair is uh, birth and death. The other is being and non-being. The other is uh, coming and going. And the other is uh, sameness and otherness. The ultimate uh, transcend the notion of sameness and otherness. And in quantum physics, uh, all the problem is the same. This is the same electron or another one. This is one or several. When we look at ourselves, we may see that this is one person. But if we look uh, differently, we see that this is a, this is a sangha of cells, the many, many, a community of cells, and not just human cells. There are non many non-human cells in us, and the non-human cells are more numerous than the human cells in us. So the idea of one. And many, the idea of sameness and otherness should be removed. And reality cannot be described either by the notion of sameness or the notion of otherness. The same thing is true with birth and death, coming and going, and so on. In the Zen tradition, Intuition, direct experience, direct conviction is uh, considered to be the only instrument that can help us uh, touch the ultimate. And in order to cultivate, uh, cultivate that kind of uh, mind of uh, non-discrimination, you have to learn to be free from from discrimination, from these uh, notions. And therefore, uh, it is uh, not possible to describe the ultimate 
with our lang common language. It is dif difficult to approach the ultimate with our mind of discrimination. Ngôn ngữ đào đoạn, the path of uh, talking, The path of talking is cut because uh, you cannot use your language in order to describe the ultimate. And this is easy to understand. Suppose you, you, you have a chance to eat uh, a mango for the first time in your life. Can you tell us about your experience of eating the mango. For a person who has not tasted the mango, it is quite impossible for you to convey the feeling that you have got. Even eating the mango, you need direct experience. Any word that you have in your mind is not capable to describe the experience you have eating the mango. Not to, tell the, not to say that, the ultimate. You can say many things. The taste of mango is not like the taste of orange. <laughs> and it's not like the taste of uh, an apple. You can say like that. It's not that, it's not that, it's not that. But you cannot say more. And that is naiti, neti, neti. What you can say is, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. That's all that uh, our language uh, can say. But not only the language cannot, uh, cannot convey your experience of the ultimate, but also your notions, your thinking. Tâm hành sứ việt. The, uh, the place, the place, the area where the mind travels is no longer there. The mind, the mind is used to travel. But uh, the space for the mind to travel is no longer available. The destruction, the removal of all uh, space for travel of the mind. In Soto Zen, it is, it is said like this. Thinking. Thinking. And measuring. That is the mind of discrimination, to try to, to grasp reality in terms of notion, to try to measure reality with your number, with mathematics. 
to think, to conceive, and to measure what that cannot be thought, that cannot be measured. How can you do it? So you have to throw away the mind of thinking, the mind of measuring, in order to reach the ultimate. Non-thinking, non-measuring is the way. That is a Soto Zen. Tư lương cá, bất tư lương đệ, bất tư lương đệ như hà tư lương. Conceiving, conceiving and measuring what cannot be conceived, what cannot be measured. How can you do that? That is the teaching of Soto Zen, Tao Dong. And yet the mind of non-discrimination is something concrete, not just a, um, an idea. When we, uh, when we uh, meditate on uh, our hand, we see that our hand has uh, the wisdom of non-discrimination. Vô phân biệt trí. Nước Vikanpa. Snana. This is uh, the wisdom. This is a discrimination. This is a non-discrimination. The wisdom of non-discrimination. This hand of mine, it has a, a name, right hand. In principle, it's not my left hand. My left hand, left hand is another hand. It has its own name. And yet the two hands do not discriminate against each other. My right hand has um, written um, many books, has done a lot of calligraphy, has uh, played uh, the drum and the bell, and uh, all of the poems uh, had been written by the right hand. But the right, my right hand never looked down on my left hand. It never say left hand. You seem to be good for nothing. <laughs> you are lazy. You are not very useful. All the poems of Thay is me who have written. So my right hand is free from the complex of superiority. And my left hand, she does not suffer at all of the complex of inferiority. In fact, there was one time when I wrote a poem with two hands. The only time. And that uh, he, he always uh, writes poems with a pen. And that day he did not have a, a pen. He was in the, in the office of someone. <clears throat> with a old typewriter. So a poem came and it wants to come out. So they use a, a 
whole envelope and uh, type. The only poem that is typed on the typewriter. The title of the poem is uh, The Little Buffalo Chasing After the Sun. And that is the only poem written by both hands. Otherwise, all the other poems were written by the right hand. So the left hand, although it, it did not, uh, it has not done uh, the, the, the things that the right hand has done, but it has no complex at all. That is why it's still very happy. And there's no hate, no jealousy, because there's no discrimination in both my hands. So I used to tell the story that one day, my two hands uh, uh, tried to, to hang a, a picture on the wall, and my left hand was uh, holding a nail, my right hand a hammer. And uh, I was not lucky that day, because instead of pounding on, on the nail, it pounded on, on the finger. Right away, the right hand put down the hammer and took care of the left hand, like taking care of itself. It does not think that it is taking care of someone else. The beloved and the lover, they are one. In true love, there is no distinction about the lover and the beloved. They are one. They are the same. There's no frontier between the one who loved and the one who is loved. The suffering of the other hand is the suffering of this hand. The happiness of the other person is uh, the happiness of this person. There is no more individual happiness. There is no more individual suffering. In true love, there is the mind of non-discrimination. <coughs> the, the, the frontier between the lover and the loved one disappears. And my right hand did not think like this. There's no right, wrong thinking. Left hand, I'm taking good care of you. Remember when I have. I find myself in trouble, you have to come and help me. This, there's no kind, not that kind of thinking. And my left hand did not say, did not get angry, did not say, right hand, you have done me um, injustice. You have made me suffer. I want justice. I, please give me that hammer. There is no such thinking in my life. So the mind of non-discrimination is something real. And if you dwell with, uh, if you know how to make use of that mind of non-discrimination, there is a harmony, there is a peace, there is happiness, there is love. And you also, with that uh, mind of non-discrimination, touch the ultimate truth, ultimate reality. 
because the mind of this non-discrimination is free from all no- notions and concepts and afflictions. And the and practitioner living her life in such a way that she, that she allowed the mind of discrimination to grow. And that is the main instrument for the yogi and the scientist. And uh, the ultimate will be out of reach, even to the scientists, if they do not use uh, that kind of uh, mind. Namely, if they don't know how to get rid slowly of the notions that they, they, they are used. They, 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 they are used to, to, uh, to be. in order to arrive at the theory of unity of everything. The scientist has to learn how to, to release notions. Because, uh, and there is a way, there is a way. We can begin with uh, skillfully using notions. And finally, we can get rid of notions. It's like uh, the case of uh, Buddhism, where you are authorized to use notions in such a way that you can slowly discard these notions. When we use the word interbeing, we are still using the word being. But interbeing is already different from being. And you say that you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with all of us. So you remove uh, the notion of being and you do not fall into the trap of uh, the notion of non-being. And that is why um, there is a sutra on page 24 about the adaptation of condition genesis connected with emptiness. First of all, we use this is because that is Everything you say uh, may be a trap. Even that is uh, skillfully said. 
So that one who say has to be very skillful in order to for the other person not to to be trapped into it. And this is a very skillful way. And yet, we have to be careful. We can get trapped into it. Because in that sentence, uh, this is not that. Because this, there's the distinction between this and that. Things are outside of each other. In classical physics, the object of your inquiry, they, are, they can exist independently from each other. They can be located in space and time, definite space and time. And we can, we can conceive of their, their path very clearly. But in uh, quantum physics, it's no longer like that. Position, path, speed, space, time are not determined anymore. Become so. So, in the beginning, we think this is not that. But with the with the inquiry, we know that this is there because that is there at the same time. It means this rely on that in order to be. And we slowly see that this is not outside of that, this is in that. Remember the sheet of paper? The left and the right are no longer enemies existing outside of each other's. They are linked to each other in such a point that you cannot take the left out of the right and the right out of the left. So this is the teaching on uh, conditioned genesis. Like a time and space. In the beginning, we we think uh, time is one thing and space is another thing. And they can be independent. But already uh, Einstein told us that uh, that uh, time and space can come together and become a continuum. And this is a conditioned genesis. And uh, the practitioner, the Buddhist practitioner, is uh, skillful enough in order to adapt, to make good use of these notions in order to slowly discard them and lay, leave them behind in order to be able to come to, to, um, to touch the ultimate. Conditioned genesis.
definition genesis is prati dia semut pada this is a condition genesis but we have to use our mind our mind skillfully is kind of uh, wisdom called the wisdom of uh, adaptation we have to go slowly we cannot jump from the realm of uh, of uh, of uh, phenomena to the realm of uh, noumena just like that we have to release slowly the notions and we have to begin with looking deeply into the nature of uh, conditioned genesis into being and that kind of uh, adaptation is called uh, anuloma anulomata adaptation this is adaptation and the Chinese is Tui Thuong. You skillfully uh, follow, you skillfully adapt this kind of, uh, of uh, language, that kind of uh, thinking and measuring in a way that uh, you will not caught in it. And the other person who listens to you will not caught into it. Skillfulness. <coughs> there is a Zen master who, who talked about the three jewels. And one day he said, uh, I'm, not, I'm reluctant every time I pronounce the word Buddha because I'm afraid that you are caught by the notion of Buddha. So, so I'm forced to use the word Buddha. But I know that pronouncing the name of Buddha can make, uh, can cause damage because you might be caught and that is why every time I have to pronounce, to pronounce the word Buddha, after that I have to go to my bathroom and rinse my mouth <laughs> three times. And that is a skillful way in order to, to tell his disciple not to be caught in the notion of Buddha. They would do differently. They said that Buddha is made of non-Buddha elements <laughs> that help them not to be caught. And you know something happened after that. There is one person sitting in the audience and he said, Dear teacher, every time I hear you pronounce the word Buddha, I have to go to the river and please my ear for three times. <laughs> that is a good uh, student. <laughs> He wanted to say that, no, don't be afraid, I am not caught in the notion of Buddha. 
You see, that is a Zen story. So those of us who, who need to use language and notions in order to help, you have to be very careful, skillful, not to be caught in these notions and language and words and help the other people who listen to you not to be caught at the same time. I think the scientists of our time begin to feel that kind of difficulties also. So, anulomata, anuloma jnana is the wisdom of adaptation. And when you skillfully use the wisdom of adaptation to, uh, to help people look into the nature of interbeing, you can lead people to, uh, to touch the ultimate to connect with, to connect with uh, Shunyata. This is uh, this is uh, connected with connected with shunyata. Shunyata is uh, is uh, is come is uh, the way uh, the term. Use in order to describe the ultimate, the ultimate emptiness. Emptiness is uh, is the ultimate, free from all notions and concepts and words. And in order to touch the ultimate, in order to go in line, connected with. Shunyata, you have to use skillful means. You have to use the wisdom of adaptation and help yourself and people look into the nature of interbeing. And then you can touch the ultimate Shunyata. In this sutra, it is uh, thought that uh, on the page 25, the fifth paragraph, profound, indeed, is this, <laughs> namely conditioned genesis, dependent, dependent arising. We need, uh, we need to concentrate and to look deeply into the nature of everything in order to recognize uh, the nature of, of interbeing. It means uh, conditioned genesis. Conditioned genesis is this is because that is. 
the Buddha tried to use a very simple word. How the word come to be, and this is the Buddhist answer, this is because that is. That is because that is. Everything depends on everything else in order to manifest. There is no birth, no dying, there is only manifestation. Profound in this, profound indeed is this, namely interbeing, namely conditioned genesis. And even more profound, more difficult to see is this, namely the extinction of all attachment, the destruction of craving, the fading of away of desire, the cessation of suffering, nirvana. We can add the removal of all notions and concepts. Uh, letting go is the practice. Letting go of all notions and concepts you have of reality. And these two dharma are namely the compounded and the uncompounded. Compounded Hovi the realm of the compounded. It gives you the, the idea that things can be born, can die, things can be outside of each other. The realm of the compounded. But hidden behind is the realm of the uncompounded. And that is why the Buddha said, this is difficult to see the nature of interbeing. And even it is more difficult to see the world of no birth and no death. But the realm of no birth, no death is not a kind of realm that is outside of the realm of birth and death. And touching this realm skillfully with the wisdom of adaptation, you can go deeper and you touch uh, the world of uh, unconditioned, uncompounded. The compounded is arising, persisting, changing, passing away. The uncompounded is not arising, persisting, not changing, not passing away. We like to use in um, uh, the image of the cloud. The cloud is is a compound thing, and if we look uh, superficially, we think that the cloud is uh, subjected to birth and death, coming and going, being and non-being. But if we want to see more deeply, we practice looking. And thanks to that observation, we find out that uh, 
It is not possible for a cloud to be born or to die. And the cloud looking down and see that uh, it has the continuation already down there. The cloud is not only in the cloud, the cloud is also outside of the cloud. Maybe half a cloud has become uh, rain or tea or corn or rice. And then the cloud has to be able to see herself in the light of uh, signlessness. When you drink your tea, mindfully, with concentration, you might see your cloud in your tea. Not in the form of a cloud, but your cloud is there. So that is to see with uh, the wisdom of signlessness. You don't see it, and yet it is there. It's like the, the plant of corn. You look at the plant of corn, you don't see the grain of corn. But the grain of corn is still there in the plant of corn. You see in the light of signlessness. You don't need an appearance in order to recognize something. So when you look at a living being, a human being, you can see his uh, animal ancestors, his vegetal ancestors, and his uh, mineral ancestors. And you can see with your mind of non-discrimination. You can see with your mind of signlessness. You don't need a sign in order to recognize your cloud. Your tea does not have the form of a cloud. But to say that the cloud is not there in the tea, that's not right thinking. So concerning our own birth and death, our continuation, we have to learn to look. And we recognize that we are not only in here, we are also out there. And the frontier between the inside and the outside may vanish. I think this can be a good uh, inspiration for scientists. The electron is not just inside of it. It's not only the neck uh, mass. The electron is also the kind of uh, uh, interaction with, uh, with the electromagnetic field, which is uh, part of the electron. It's not the inside of the electron. So the removal of the, the, the notion of inside and outside is very crucial in order to understand an electron or, or to, to understand a cloud or to understand a human being. In Mahayana Buddhism, this is made very clear. Klesha is body, body. Klesha means our afflictions. 
are afflictions like anger and fear and ignorance. And you should not look for enlightenment body outside of the of your afflictions. It's by looking deeply into the nature of your afflictions, your anger, your fear, your despair, that you can find enlightenment. Phiền não tích bồ đề. This is uh, enlightenment. This is uh, afflictions. Don't think that uh, you can find enlightenment outside of uh, afflictions, and you don't you you don't think that uh, you can find uh, um, affliction outside of enlightenment. And the formula used in Plum Ridge is very easy. Afflictions are made of non-affliction elements. <laughs> enlightenment is made of non-enlightenment elements. It's very helpful, that formula. A flower is made of non-flower elements. Suffering is made of non-suffering elements. It can be very helpful to, 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 to us. We can get out of that uh, notion uh, that uh, things can exist by themselves. And this is because that is very simple. Samsara is nirvana. Samsara is shinto. The round of birth and death is nirvana, the extinction of birth and death. And uh, we are advised to look for nirvana right in the heart of samsara. In, in the cloud of uh, birth and death, being, being and non-being, if we look deeply, we see the cloud of no birth and of no birth and no death. We don't have to look for for another cloud. It's the same cloud, but with um, with afflictions, with uh, ignorance, the cloud is bound to birth and death, being and non-being. But with uh, freedom, with uh, the mind of non-discrimination, we can touch the nature of no birth and no death, no being and no non-being of the cloud. So, samsara, the realm of birth and death, and nirvana, the realm of no birth and no death, they are not outside of each other. That is interbeing. And this is a very clear in the teaching of Mahayana Buddhism. You don't try to avoid one thing, and to search for another thing. The wave does not have to go and look for water. She is water. 
So let, let us imagine ourselves as a, a stream of water born from, from the top of a mountain. We are going down joyfully as a young person. We want to go fast. We jump. We sing. Do we have a beginning? Because the stream of water born on the top of the mountain has come from has not come from nothing. She has come from the rain. She has come from the sky. From the clouds. And she enjoys flowing down as a stream of water, as a source. And she wants to go fast. She's very excited to go to the ocean. And as she comes to the lowland, she's she slow down. As we grow into an adult, we go a little bit more slowly. And we take time to look around. And the young river begin to notice that our clouds reflected in, in, her, in her bed. There are many kinds of clouds of different kinds of colors. And the young river enjoy shading after clouds. That is what we do when we are young. We are shading after clouds. We chase one cloud after another. And we think that our happiness will not be possible if we cannot get hold of one cloud. The clouds are so beautiful. And how can we live without the clouds reflected in our, our bed? So the river continued to chase after clouds. And she undergo, undergo a lot of suffering because clouds are impermanent. One day they are there, another day they, they go away. And our life is like that. We are a river and we have been chasing after clouds, one after another. And we have cried many times. Every time we lose one, one cloud. One day, the sky is uh, desperately empty. There is no cloud reflecting in the river. And the river is so sad. She, she wants to die. Life has no more meaning. But how can a river die? How can a river commit suicide? There is no alternative. The, the river should continue to flow. And that night, suffering so much, she had a chance to come back to herself and listening to her own suffering, listening to her own cries the sound of her water lapping against the 
the bank of the river. And because she is able to go back to herself and listen to her suffering, she begins to understand. And she realizes for the first time in her life that she is made of clouds. She has been chasing clouds and she did not know that she is cloud. She has everything in herself, all conditions to be happy. The fact is that you are already what you want to become. And that is the teaching of uh, Apranayita. Aimlessness. You don't have to run after anything at all. You have everything in you. Vong Nguyen. This is one of the three doors of liberation. The first one is emptiness, shunyata. The second one is signlessness. Animita. And the third one is uh, aimlessness. So the wave doesn't have to go and search for water anymore. The wave is water. Apranihita means not to put something in front of you as the object of your, of your <coughs> search, searching. And that is why it's translated as aimlessness. And in French, uh, we like to translate it as uh, la non-poursuite. La non-poursuite. You have everything in yourself. You have uh, the kingdom of God in yourself. You have uh, the Buddha land in yourself. You have the Buddha, you have uh, peace, you have joy. Everything is there. You don't have to look for the Buddha outside of you. You don't have to look for the ultimate outside of you. And you, the, the moment when you stop running, you begin to have peace and happiness and the feeling of uh, fulfillment. And that is uh, the third door of liberation, namely la aimlessness. And that night, the river came home to herself and listened to the sound of lapping of her water and discovered that she is made of water. She is made of cloud. She doesn't have to run after any cloud at all. And she got enlightened that night. The next day, the cloud came back to the sky. And she enjoyed reflecting the cloud, but she's no longer attached to any particular cloud. She's free. And you can imagine that is a full moon night, that night. And you can see the cloud and the moon and the river, they hold hands of each other and they practice 
walking meditation, a flowing meditation. They don't need to arrive at the ocean because to the ocean there's also water. So please, my dear friends, we are a sangha, and uh, we have the Buddha, the Dharma. We have each other. And as uh, a cell in the Buddha body, as a cell in the Sangha body, we should be able to every day generate the energy of mindfulness, concentration, insight, peace, and compassion to nourish us and to nourish uh, the Sangha body, the Buddha body. Because the, the Sangha and the Buddha body is the hope for the world for our society, for our planet. Uh, wherever you go, the Sangha is with you, the Buddha is with you. And we can learn uh, to stay always with the Sangha. Wherever we are, the Sangha body is there. And that can make, um, give us a lot of happiness. Many of us have received the five mindfulness trainings representing the wisdom of non-discrimination, the wisdom of non-interbeing. And the five trainings are very concrete ways in order to practice mindfulness and non-discrimination that should be able to bring happiness and peace to us and our family and our society. And those of us who have received the 14 mindfulness trainings, they also reflect the, the wisdom of uh, non-discrimination, the wisdom of interbeing. And we have uh, the Buddha within us. We have the Sangha within us. We should not be afraid. And we should continue the career of the Buddha by building Sanghas in our family and in our neighborhood, in our society. Um, we should sing together, no coming, no going, before we uh, uh, have a cup of tea and come and visit Thay's hut. And then we gather at the bell tower nearby and do our walking meditation. Thank you for having come and spend uh, time practicing with us. See you again. À la prochaine. Mời các thầy, mời sư cô chân không lên hát bài No Coming No Going. Mời các thầy, các sư cô. Mời các uh, vị tiếp hiệu. Members of the OI, please come and join the monastics. Shall we stand up and uh, relax?
Bis dann.